0: What we're going to be doing is we're starting a new series today. And this series is going to go on for a few weeks. We're going to be going through the book of Isaiah. Now, when was the last time you went through the book of Isaiah? It's uh, 66 chapters long. We're going to be going through each one of those. No, we're not. Uh, but we are going to be going through a good number of them. And I think it's going to be a, uh, a, a rich and meaningful time. Now, Uh, Just by way of introduction, there are many ways that you and I can kind of make sense of life and and interpret what's going on around us and in us and uh, we can view life politically and with all that's going on, boy, is that ever a popular topic these days and we can kind of see life through political eyes and and through the that go on and in the rise and fall of nations we can kind of make sense of human history and human experience politically. We can see human experience kind of being an evolutionary process where um, it's more of a scientific reality and we're evolving as a species and we can kind of make sense of life that way. We can make sense of it culturally or sociologically and see the development within families and cultures. Uh, I think the most popular way to make sense of life is just personally. And whatever's going on for me is kind of the center of what's going on in the cosmos. And so we see life through our own personal grid. What prophets do in the Old Testament in particular... ...is they kind of pull back the veil of human history... ...and what's going on uh, in and around us. They kind of pull back the veil... And we see that there's actually a spiritual reality that's shaping the things that are going on in our daily lives and in our world. Um, for example, it was interesting to me to, before the American election, to hear a number of prophecies of, uh, of, what, of who God was going to install in the uh, presidential office. That was interesting. Interesting. I'm not going to tell you anything more than that. But, uh, but the idea is, is there's something bigger going on than what you and I see with our human eyes. And what prophets have the ability to do is, is pull back the veil and say there's a whole other storyline going on. That's more than evolution. That's more than politics. More than just your experience or mine. That is actually shaping our lives in future. So, Isaiah is one of these prophets. He lived through a number of different kings, through a very tumultuous time of Israel's history. And we are going to start right in chapter 1 of Isaiah and look at the outline of this book. And I hope that what you'll see is the outline of sorry, the outline of this chapter and what you'll see is an amazing parallel perhaps To our own lives. So, point number one. We've got six points that we're going to go through today. Point number one uh, in Isaiah chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 is that it begins by saying we are unresponsive children. Here's what it says in verses 2 and 3. I reared children, or another version says sons, and brought them up. But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master. The donkey its owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. So it is... um, It is easy to think that if we would pull back the veil and see God for who he truly is and see how he's orchestrating human history... That we would kind of find this uh, God with a bit of an edge. He's a little bit angry. and doesn't like us all very much. He's mostly putting up with us. And uh, it's just about how uh, upset he is and how we're going to experience his wrath. But the first introduction that we get to who God is, is he's a father with his children. It's the first introduction of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is going to go on to describe the rise and fall of nations and incredible things that are going to go on in human history. But the introduction of the book is God saying, I'm a father and I have wayward sons. Now, I don't know what your primary image of God is. I remember the moment when my, it was more of a phase than a moment. I remember when my prayers, when I would pray, I used to pray, you know, dear God or Lord God, right? And I remember when my prayers shifted to, oh, Father, I remember it that somehow God moved from being this distant deity that I needed to pay homage to if I hoped to get to heaven, to him being my father. I think one of the most difficult things that we have to do as human beings is to somehow see God for who he really is, not how we imagine him to be, not how we project him to be from the experiences that we have around us, whether it's our family or friends or culture, but that we see God for who he is and who he primarily relates to us as, is as our Heavenly Father. And the whole difficulties that are going to be going on in Isaiah all stem back to the idea that we are, uh, that an ox knows his master, a donkey knows his owner's manger, But people don't see their Heavenly Father for who He really is. And that's the primary problem inside of human history. Can you imagine that? The primary problem is not our sin nature, is not political rulers, is that we can't see what animals have figured out. That we have a master, a father in heaven, who loves us and knows us, who is our creator and our leader. Now, what happens if we don't see ourselves as children of God, we simply become unresponsive to him. And uh, we go, well, he's probably up there. I'm sure he's super busy. I'm pretty busy. So... I'm just going to let him do his thing, and I'm going to do my thing. And I'm just going to be largely unresponsive. Not necessarily because I'm angry or I have any issues. I just... He's just over there somewhere. When we point to... When we miss the point of who he really is, we live selfishly. So uh, verse 4 goes on to say, Whoa! To the sinful nation. The word sinful here uh, means to miss the mark. You're just, you're not getting the point. And so you're living in a way that expresses your ignorance. Woe to the sinful nation. They have forgo- forsaken the Lord and turned their backs on him. Now, have you, uh, when when there's something difficult going on inside of you, or something difficult that's going on around you, um, when you're choosing sinfulness, do you connect that to the idea that you've lost sight of your loving Father? That the reason why... You and I would sin is we've somehow been blinded to the reality of our Heavenly Father. And so since He isn't good, since He's not involved in my life, since I pray and I don't hear Him, I just got to manage life on my own. I mean, what else am I going to do? He's not around. He clearly doesn't care. And so I just have to manage life. A good word to describe managing life is called sinfulness. Sinfulness isn't always people who are just these evil mean-hearted people who you know who just want to hurt others cuz they're so self-centered. I think it goes that we might get there but it starts earlier on that I don't see that I have a loving father. I don't trust in him. So I guess life is just up to me. And the more that I believe that it's just all about me and that I don't have a father looking out for me that I can trust, I'm going to get mean. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get self-centered. But the problem isn't so much the self-centeredness. The problem is what that self-centeredness is rooted in, which is not seeing God for who he really is. So we are unresponsive children because we don't recognize him for who he is. Then we act out of that, and we live selfishly. And then the result, of course, point three, is that we experience internal and external consequences. In verse 5 and in verse 7 of chapter 1, it says, Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart afflicted. And then, that's the inside stuff. And then it says, and your country is desolate. So again, you guys, this is so hard for us. That we have, we'll have a calamity going on. And we just say, well, it's just natural consequences. Or it's just bad choices. Or, we're, or we'll be depressed and we just say it's a chemical imbalance. Or we'll we'll make choices and it's just, well, it's the best options that I could make. And it's so, it can be so hard for us to connect the dots from our earthly experience back up to there being a father in heaven who's orchestrating our lives in the world around us. And to say, maybe the difficulties that I'm experiencing are somehow connected to my relationship with God. This is not easy to do. And I think one of the primary reasons why we don't do it is because we're afraid of getting blamed. and We say, well, I don't really want to connect those dots. I already feel really bad about how I'm living my life and I don't really know that I want to be accountable to God or live in response to him. I'm—it's Life is hard enough as it is that now I have to feel bad about more. What ends up happening, however, is that as we run out of resources and as we get into situations that are beyond our control, we're kind of forced into a corner and we have to well, maybe God does exist. Maybe he is out there. All right, so you do exist. But what we do, point four, is we choose arm's length solutions. Here's what it says in verse 13 and 15. Uh, This is God's response to them uh, doing uh, kind of habitual rituals, offering sacrifices, praying, doing these kinds of things. He says, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. You guys, this is just getting harder and harder. And so we go, look, I'm admitting that you're real. And uh, and so I'm just going to do some stuff that I think you're going to like so that you're going to get back on, you know, doing good stuff for me. So I hear you like it if we go to church. I hear you like it if we read our Bibles. And I hear you like that praying thing. So I'm just going to do all that stuff. And I hope that you're satisfied. But I'm doing this to appease you. I'm doing this to get on your good side. I don't know if you've seen this uh, bumper sticker. It says, uh, Jesus is coming back soon. Look busy. You ever seen that? I just think that's such a great description of how we can treat God. Is uh, He's real. Uh, look busy. Just start doing Christian stuff. And uh, hopefully he won't no- notice you. And if he does, he'll be really pleased with you. That uh, that you're reading your Bible and that you're doing, you know. I remember uh, I was doing a, I, I was just kind of a, a new pastor. And uh, I had some some friends that would kind of tease me about that. And so I was going over to their house. To, uh, to have a pastoral visit. And so what they did is, uh, as I walked in, they had, uh, just as I walked in where I put my shoes, there was a Bible. And then where I walked over to sit down, there was another Bible. And then uh, and where I wanted to drink a water, there was another Bible there. And they just had a whole bunch of Bibles all around the house to just to show how spiritual they were and that they prepared for the pastor to come over. Now, don't we do that? Uh, I'm not doing well, so I, bet I, I better pull up my Bible. I don't know why I'm doing it, but I think he likes it, and I think he's upset, so that's the best that I can come up with. And so we just, we just do stuff to look busy, hoping that we somehow appease an angry father. So I hate to pick on my kids, but it's fun. I, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 there's two ways that my kids relate to me. And each one of them goes back and forth between them. So they're all very, very lovely and beautiful and not. And, uh, and so sometimes what they'll do is, uh, is I'll say, uh, could you please clean out the dishwasher? And so then no words are, are, are exchanged. They go over, and they put everything away. And then the door will still be down, and all the dirty dishes on top. But I cleaned up the dishwasher. I did exactly what you wanted me to do. I am an obedient son. And it's, Dad's coming back. Look busy. It's, you don't want to get him mad, because... I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm going to do what he says. And then he's been appeased. I can go back to living my life the way that I wanted to live before I was rudely interrupted with his request. And hopefully when I want money later, he'll give it to me because I clean the dishwasher. I do that all the time. I do it all the time with God. What do you want me to do, share my faith? (sighs) All right. So I'm sitting beside somebody on the plane or wherever I am, and I go, uh, do you know about Jesus? You go, nope, don't want to know. And I think, good. I did my part. You were clearly rebellious and unreceptive, and I've appeased you, and I can go back to what I really wanted to do. This is working out really, really well for me. The hardest thing for me to do as a father is to communicate what I'm longing for more than anything is connection. That is the hardest thing to explain. <clears throat> I uh, I remember, just because I'm, I'm thinking about this, I remember when I became a professional pastor, or whatever you call, I don't know even you know you call me, but uh, one that got paid, I, re- I remember when that happened and how it changed how my friends related to me. And we couldn't just hang out anymore, because now when we hang out, the pastor's coming over. I remember, uh, I remember when we, were, uh, we would play ball hockey, and, uh, and then I became a pastor. And so now, when they hollered for a pass, they had to say, Pastor Greg. But by the time they got out my full name, the, the play was over. <laughs> and so we had to work through whether I could just be called Greg so it could be fast enough to get the pass. It changed. My relationship changed. So I can be friends with youth. But as soon as I'm dad, now you've got to work that through it's more complicated. There's something that happens as soon as we face authority that we immediately assume they're a little grumpy, mostly thinking about themselves, and don't really want to be connected with us. And so then we live out of that experience or assumption of God. And we become like donkeys and oxes or Actually, we're worse than them in that we don't know that we have somebody who's loving us, looking out for us, and deeply, deeply caring about our well-being. We just keep it all at arm's length, assuming that it's safe, but we're missing the whole point. So, we have this arm's length relationship, hoping that God's happy. And then point number five, that God invites us into his heart. Now, this is where it gets really hard. This is verse 17. The odds of us misunderstanding this verse are so high, I almost skipped it. It says, uh, Learn to do right. So this is a father who loves his children and wanting to connect with his children. Listen to what he says. You want to misunderstand God? Read this. Um, Learn to do right, seek justice defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. So, it's like, okay, so you called me a son, you called me a daughter, you wanted a relationship with me, I misunderstood that, and kept you at arm's length, so now I'm trying to get intimate with you, and all you're talking about is loving people that I don't know and might smell. Like, what do you... Like, the logic isn't... It's not working for me. I'm not... I don't get it. I thought you wanted just a love relationship with me. And now you're talking about justice and the oppressed and the fatherless, the widow, the orphan. Now, the first thing to note... Is if God was egocentric. His first commands would have been about sacrifices and honor. That's the first note. Is that it's about loving somebody. That's our first clue. What if. What God is inviting us into. Is his heart. What if that's what's going on. So. uh, So. I say to our kids, I really love you. I enjoy spending time with you. I would do anything for you. And I want to I share hearts and not just uh, be functional. So why don't we invite people into our home? Why don't we invite more people into our home? And then our kids could easily say, no, 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 no. No, I thought you wanted connection. I go, I do. So let's invite some people into our home, somebody who doesn't experience what we have. Let's invite them in. And then there's going to be a connection that we're going to enjoy that we could never experience if you weren't about my values and my priorities and my longings. I'm inviting you into a relationship with me And this is what I do. I reach the orphan and the widow and the oppressed. It's what I do. And I want you to be with me. I want you to feel and experience my heart. Because as you reach out to them, you'll know the heart that I have toward you. And you'd never be able to experience that heart if you didn't come and share what I'm doing. And then you'd go, oh, then I must be like that to you where you love me in a way that I don't deserve, where you seek me out even when I don't want to be found by you. Oh, that's who you are. And now I'm better connected with my father because I've been about his business. And I've not just been staring into each other's eyes saying yet again, how much I love you. Maybe when God is inviting us to do the work of the kingdom, it's not to use us because he's looking for hired hands and for volunteers. It's because he wants us to engage in his heart and be about what he's doing. And now we discover dimensions of our Heavenly Father that we never would have discovered had we have just held him off at a distance or just expect blessings to be thrown over the wall. There's a gross um I won't go so far as to say misinterpretation in the Bible, but it's very, very misleading. And it's called the Ten Commandments. Now, when that word commandments was originally translated into English, it was translated the word commandments. A better interpretation of the word command would be, let me make sure, is sayings, it's the ten sayings, or the ten values of God. But isn't it like us to see expectations and to immediately cons- assume that they're commandments designed to judge us as opposed to be sayings and values To reveal the heart of God and then to invite us into that heart and live out of that context. Do you see how hard it is to trust that God is our loving Father? No matter where we churn, we're constantly misinterpreting Him. So hard to believe that He's as good as He says that He is. So He invites us into His heart. One more difficult moment, point six. And then he outlines sonship and the effect. And this starts at verse 18 and just goes through to the end of the chapter. But let me just read a few portions from 18 and 20. It says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Let's think this through. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Isn't that great? So this is, a, this is a father coming to his children and says, look, you've done lots of things wrong. I want to I cleanse you. We like that part, right? And then it says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured. Loving father speaking. I love you. Isn't that great? Um, what I've been doing lately, just because I've I, I, I been trying to contrast, compare and contrast, let's be generous, the values of our society with biblical values. And one of the things that I've noticed in our society, what is the primary way that our society, and if you're a Christian, you'll really get this. Uh, what is the primary way that we're to relate to parents? Uh, if you go through any inner healing or, or prayer ministry or uh, you, you go for counseling, the primary thing that you're going to need to do in regard to your parents is forgive them. Right? Like, isn't that what we're all working through? Our parents were super messed up, and the only way that you and I are going to get free is if we somehow work up in our heart the ability to forgive our parents for all the terrible ways that they've hurt and wounded us. And then I read the Bible. And what is the primary way that God tells us to relate to our parents? You know this. Honor your mother and father. And it's the first commandment with a promise so that it will go well with you and that you'll live a really long time. Which sounds a whole lot like Isaiah one twenty. If you are willing and obedient, honor, obedience, you will eat the good things of the land and if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured. I don't know how to say this But a love relationship with God where we give and receive love with him is rooted in obedience. It's rooted in obedience. And I am quite convinced that if you and I could figure out I've been reading through I'm almost finished Deuteronomy. I'm in uh, chapter 31. I think there's 34 chapters. And... uh, obey, 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 through the whole thing. And what it consistently says is obey from your heart. I bet, you guys, I bet that if you and I could figure out how to obey God, our Father, from our heart. Not some arm's length thing. That's for sure spoken of against in this path. But if you and I could figure out how to obey God from our heart, our life would be radically transformed. Radically. Because we will have worked through trust issues. We will have worked through how to receive love and to give love. All that heart stuff has to be worked through if we decide to obey God from our hearts. I am becoming. More and more convinced. That the root issue in our life. Is disobedience. But not. Because it's breaking the rules. It's because it's breaking relationship. With a loving father who knows what's best for us to have a meaningful, life giving relationship with him. And if we could figure this out as a people, something would radically change in our lives and in this city and in the nations. Radically change. What does John, I think it's 1421, tell us? If you love me, you'll obey my commands. So, what if what we did is we reversed the change process in our life? And we made obedience the first step, not the last one. And he says, oh God, I'm more than happy to obey you. More than happy. But I just, I need to get there. So if you could do me a favor. If you could just prove that you're loving. If you could just answer my prayers. If you could just work through my mother-father issues with my, you know, natural mother-father. and If you could help me find the strength because you know I'm weak. You know I'm weak. If you could help me with all these things. Man, I promise you I'm going to obey you. You just watch and see. It's going to be amazing. And what if God says, no, no, no. I want you to obey me first. And for you to do that, to just to do what I say, is going to cause a chain reaction that is going to blow you away. But you would start by obeying your Father from your heart. And that would be the beginning of personal and social transformation. I was reading one of the commentaries, and it says that uh, nobody, well, I mean, maybe somebody is, but they're just weird, but nobody is offended by the law of gravity. (laughs) Right? I hate that law of gravity. Curse you, law of gravity. I am going to rebel against you. Just watch my rebellion. I'm going to prove you wrong have you ever been offended by the law of gravity you might have been frustrated you know i've been a few times as i'm going down a mountain I've Been a few, oh wow this is really true right now as i'm hitting the ground i might be insulted by the law of gravity but i'm not offended by it it's just true and if i submit to that law it always goes better for me it's really weird Has a train ever been offended by the train tracks? Has it ever looked at those tracks and said, I hate you. You limit me. I can only go wherever you point. I hate that. I'm free. And so the train train goes off the tracks. Nuts. (laughs) Now what am I going to (laughs) do? I can't go anywhere now. At least I could go somewhere when I had the tracks and I'm just sitting here looking heavy. We are not offended by the law of gravity or that trains have tracks, but we can be offended by the laws of God and Him calling us to follow His ways. And what if we switched our hearts that we would no longer be offended by obedience? We would no longer be offended by the word of the Lord. And we'd be grateful that our Father speaks and he gives words of life. And I won't be rebellious. I'll be smarter than an ox. I'll be smarter than a donkey. And I won't resist the call of my Father. And I'll do what he says first, and then we'll work it out. Uh, in our church right now, it is so exciting to see what's going on in uh, D groups. And there's Many, many of you in this room are in, are in a D group right now. And, uh, and here's, what, here's what we say about D groups. We say, would you please do what we've asked you to do? The leadership of the church, uh, we've been working on this for years and years, decades in fact. Would you just do that? Just do it. Just do like, I don't know, what you're told can you imagine somebody would say that in a church? Just do what you're told. And then, as you do what you're told, let's work that out together and complain a lot and say how it doesn't work, and we'll just improve it together. It's going to be super fun. But I don't care about what you think about D groups until you're doing one. And then critique, please. Oh, man, it's just invaluable feedback. But if you're not doing one, don't complain. You have no idea what you're talking about. Your perspective of the world is only revolving around your experience. And that's dumber than a donkey or an ox. Get in on something that's bigger than you. Do something that someone else told you to do. Work that out. And watch how your heart is going to be transformed. And you're going to go into better places. We're going to be spending the next number of weeks examining and trusting in the heart of God. It's the name of the series. But my friends, if you don't want to obey, it's going to get more and more frustrating every week. Because what I've discovered is people who don't want to obey, whenever they hear truth, they build up more and more excuses for not doing it. And the truth actually hardens their heart instead of sets them free. So as we begin this series, would you say, Father, I want a soft heart because you have a soft heart. And I want to hear you as a loving father and I'm going to express my trust in you by doing what you say. You're the best father. You're the best source of love and truth and power. And I'm going to trust you. Can we have the, um, do I call you a worship team if there's only two of you? The duo, the worship duo partnership. Um, we're going to have, are we having communion? We don't have communion. Cool. We are going to be having some prayer on the other side. But I would like us to stand, please. Dear Father, our Father, Dad, Dad, I'm so sorry for misunderstanding you. I'm so sorry that the moment you have expectations, we immediately assume evil motives on your part. God, would you please set us free tonight from our suspicions? Set us free tonight from our self-centered judgments of you. And I thank you that you have given us the ability to obey. You called this out in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we even have your spirit now. So for sure, we can do what you say. And thank you that your paths are straight and good and kind, and they're full of promises and blessings. Even in the midst of suffering. And so, would you give us the grace now to say yes to your call, to believe we can obey, because you're a loving Father and you would never ask us to do anything impossible or harmful. So, as we worship you now, would you please receive this as an act of obedience, as an act of trust and worship in the one we call good.